whisperer. Uh, please, somebody tell me that I, I'm not talking loud enough for you to hear. Uh, we're going to fly through some stuff, and to be completely honest, um, this is some of the more disturbing scripture for me. So, uh, I think it's page 717 in the Tapestry Bibles. We're going to go uh, two passages of scripture, and then next week we're going to talk about what we skip. Uh, we're going to start at verse 12 and read to verse 14, and then we're going to go to verse 20 and read to verse 25. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to it uh, to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now to verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. Guys, we're going to fly through some stuff here, but I just want to be completely honest and say, I find this scripture disturbing. Not disturbing like some scripture. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, that, you know, there's some scripture where I, truthfully it disturbs me because Jesus is talking about my sin. I'm really fine when he talks about other people's sin, but when he talks about my sin, I'm not the hugest fan of that. Uh, but this is more disturbing because I don't understand it. I can give you facts about what's kind of happening. It's not what's happening, it's why. And that's what I don't understand. Such as, okay, here. Blank sheet of paper. The fig is very representative in, in, in Old Testament scripture and in Hebrew thought. So we can make some guesses from that, what Jesus is specifically talking about, because the fig tree typically equals the people of God. It's represented over and over and over again, and because of the fact that, well, this is kind of what the story does, okay? We have Jesus walking, and he gets hungry, and he goes, hey, there's a tree in leaf. I'd like some figs, but Mark is kind enough to tell us that it's not the season for figs, and that's part of what disturbs me. Jesus is a Palestinian. He would have known if it was the season for figs or not. Okay, it's not like, you know, I go, hey, it's winter, and therefore I want some fruit, and I'll go to my neighbor's house and pick one off the tree. No, I know that doesn't happen, okay? The, the plums in my front yard that, that mess up my driveway, they happen during the spring and the summer. I understand that. Jesus was obviously trying to teach a lesson here. So he goes, he looks for figs, and then what happens after he, he gets ticked off in an inanimate tree? Well, he goes to the temple, and he basically kicks butt in the temple when you get down to it. And then after the temple, he walks back by the tree again, and now the disciples see that he's cursed, and Jesus, or not, he's cursed, excuse me. Jesus uh, has cursed this fig tree, and they see it, and he takes it, and he turns it into a lesson. Jesus does that. He takes things and he turns it into a lesson. That's not what I find disturbing. Matter of fact, he's already talked about this, okay? Uh, Luke tells a parable that is very similar to the story that is in Mark and in Matthew, and it is this. 
He told them that he hears Jesus, this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Does that sound familiar at all? Okay. Uh, so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit in this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears uh, fruit the next year, fine. If it doesn't, then cut it down. Jesus already talked about this. Here's what disturbed me. Almost all of Jesus' miracles are created in nature. Almost everything Jesus does that is miraculous is beneficial. He goes and he sees Devin, and Devin has a cauliflower ear, which you don't, which is why I can pick on you about it, because you don't have it. Um, and you know, he goes and he touches it, and he heals it. Jesus heals again and again and again. We don't see him going and destroying. But this miracle is destructive in its nature. Jesus doesn't go and say, this fig tree doesn't bear fruit, and I say, blossom! And then suddenly there's fruit on it. He gets ticked. And he curses this fig tree. A tree that was doing what it was supposed to do according to the season. That disturbs me. Not disturbs me like Jesus is wrong. I'll just be honest and say, I don't understand it. Uh, some of you are, 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 are Facebook people who stalk all the time, and some of you are Twitter people. And I, I posted this week with some friends of mine, and I, I said, um, I, I'm trying to figure out if I should talk about the fig tree or not. Because to be completely honest, I'm excited about talking about the temple. I love when Jesus just kind of goes WWF. It's not WWF anymore. What is it now? WWTF? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a different thing. WWF. I really thought he was doing that. Adam. I mean, WWE We have another first. <laughs> so, thanks. Um, guys, when Jesus throws down on the table, I love it. Okay? I completely just love it. There's so much fascinating stuff there. I'm disturbed by this. And I posted it and I said, I, I don't know if I should talk about the figs or not because I feel like me just getting up here and saying, I don't know, is a really short sermon. And all of my friends, actually not all of my friends, excuse me, some of my friends, I have a couple of friends who are lawyers and are, are amazing Christians, and they start spouting off these facts, yada, 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 help me. The problem is, it's not the facts. I understand the facts. Jesus is teaching a lesson using the fig, and he's talking about the temple, and he's talking about the Hebrew people, who, interestingly enough, bear the semblance of being fruitful. They have all these actions going on at the temple. They are in leaf, but there's no fruit. I understand that. But this goes against so much of what I understand of the character of Christ. And, and I was just going, I don't know why. So, here's my opinion. And it's purely my opinion. And I think what we need to learn here is what just ticks Jesus off? Is he okay? Yeah. No, good. I, I thought he was getting something, but then I thought he might have fallen. What, what ticks Jesus off to the point that he's like, that's it. I'm going to teach him a lesson, and I'm going to teach them a lesson that even involves destroying a plant. They just don't get it. He just keeps repeating us 
I think so. And, and Jan, I think you're right, but I think it's specifically about what the tree didn't have. Here's, here's scripture that, that happens over and over again. You will find this said over and over again in scripture because Jesus hates barrenness. He hates barrenness because he's the vine and we are supposed to be attached to the vine and we are supposed to grow as a result of it. This is from John 15 which says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Jesus hates Barrenness. I think there's a reason that again and again in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, a, a, a barren woman is described and this miraculous thing happens. Matter of fact, one of the things you can almost guarantee, if infertility is mentioned in the Bible, the result of the child that comes about ends up doing something absolutely miraculous. Okay? I have a good friend. Actually, Pam and I have two good friends. Uh, her her husband is probably the manliest man I've ever met in my life. He was this wonderful uh, chaperone when I was a youth minister because I could put him in a room full of middle school students that were all scared of him. It was awesome. Okay? Matt could just be there and be like, it's time to go to bed. And they would be like, yes, sir. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Jessica and Matt are just this incredible couple. And uh, they tried and tried and tried to have kids. Tried and tried and tried to have kids. And everybody around them, all their friends, were just having kids left and right. Just way too easy, actually. And uh, Jessica and Matt couldn't have kids. And I was reading a, uh, reading scripture. I was specifically dealing with Samuel at this time. And uh, I heard someone say, whenever there's a barren woman, you can almost bet money that God is going to use the child that comes out of that and do something miraculous. God hates barrenness. He doesn't hate the person who's barren. He hates barrenness. We are meant to be fruitful. Not just in having kids, though I, I do realize that age group-wise, <laughs> most of who we are, uh, that's going to happen eventually. And thankfully, thus far, it's been happening in the right route with marriage and then the kids. Uh, that's the way I'd like it. But God wants us to be fruitful. So who's not being fruitful? Who do you think was not being fruitful? The apostles. Who do you think? You think the apostles were not? Do you think the fig tree was about the apostles? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, they still had doubts. They still questioned it. They still, you know. And, and Jan, you're completely right on that. The beauty is, one of the other things you'll see in the New Testament is God uses people who have doubts. He uses people who have questions all the time. If they're willing to trust. I think the people he's reflecting on at this point, specifically it's the temple. But also it's the people who put their trust in the temple. Because they look like they're fruitful. They are doing all this religious activity. They're bearing no fruit. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about it next week. Because the whole fruit here would be that the people of God were supposed to be these priests to the nations. Okay? And God says that people will view them and look at them as though they are gods because of what he has done in their lives. And instead what they do is they hold up and they become more and more exclusive. And, and uh, next week we're going to talk about basically they take the court of the Gentiles in the temple, the court that is for all the people of the nations, and they uh, put, turn it into a sales thing, emporium, which basically keeps everyone who's not Jewish out of the chance to worship God. Because God meant for his people to be fruitful. Not just multiply in birth, 
but to be fruitful and be bringing people to him right and left, but also doing the acts of the Lord. Here's, here's another scripture. That would be the same one. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit. Every good tree what? Bears fruit. Bears good fruit. Jesus runs into a fig tree, and it's not bearing fruit, and he hates barrenness. I think you see it again and again in, in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament also. And, and I'll be completely honest and say I could be wrong. I'm, I'm telling you. I, I know, well, actually, I, I know <laughs> all of you know that your pastor doesn't know everything, and I would never claim to know everything. And, and I truthfully think people who think they know everything are stupid, uh, to be completely honest, because he is God. I am a creation. For me to say I understand him is absurd. But I get along with him pretty well. So I, I, I think I, I can make a pretty consistent guess here. And while I'm guessing, I really think it comes down to that the only destructive miracle Jesus does is because he's fed up with people being barren who claim to be followers of him. I think that's why we, we read these passages. If you read the seven, uh, seven letters to the seven churches in the book of the Revelation, and you, you start seeing things like Laodicea, they don't really reject him. They just don't follow him. He describes them as lukewarm, as wanting to throw up out of his mouth. They are nice, decent people, but they're not fruitful at all. See, fruit can be messy. Fruit is fruit. Yes, ma'am. So if you... Um Right, and I, when I say fruitful and barrenness, I'm not talking about having kids. Well, but you referred to I did. Because I think again, God, God likes fruitfulness, but I'm not meaning specifically on kids. At that time, it would have been kids, Jan, because we talked talked about that. At that time, a woman's value, truthfully, was on whether or not she could bear sons. Uh, that is not whether or not you can have kids. I think it's just consistent with God's nature that he, he wants us to be fruitful. Okay? Again, not kids. So the action comes down to what in the world does it mean to be fruitful to follow Christ? So, very easy definition. <laughs> Called the fruits of the Spirit. Interestingly enough, that's what we call them. It's not mentioned in Scripture. I mean, it does say the fruits of the Spirit, but it doesn't tag. All those little tags you see in your Bible, we put those on there. God didn't say, hey, I'll make this convenient thing so they know where this section of the Bible is. Uh, instead, he just writes this out. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's why this matters. We're a small church, and I still run into people. Typically guests, this is nothing against you guys, okay? Um, uh, typically guests who will say things such as, you know, one day I'll be able to do this. Usually it comes down to tithing, which is kind of funny because those of you who are threads, you know I never talk about tithing. I'm not opposed to tithing, uh, but the leadership team has said before, it's like, hey, we need to talk about tithing every now and then. And, and what we usually come down to is when Jesus talks about it in the book of the Bible we're reading, we're going to talk about it. But we're not going to manipulate the sermon uh, to do it. Uh, and thankfully, we have not had to be that desperate <laughs> to where I really needed to manipulate the scripture. But 
Boy, that sounded awful, didn't you? <laughs> Hopefully you understand what I mean. But tithing is a good example of this, because I cannot tell you the number of guests who have said to me, you know, one day I, I hope to be, able to, be, to be able to tithe because I'll be making enough money. The problem is, is it doesn't work that way. This is a tweet from a friend of mine, actually from earlier today. Guy, his name's Jason Thomas. He's a youth minister in Katy, Texas. But he said, it's not what you would do if you had a million dollars to give away. It's what you're doing with the $20 in your pocket that counts. See, the beauty of it is this. It's not how big your fruit will be one day. It's whether or not you're bearing fruit now. Tithing is just a good example of that because I can't tell you the number of people who say, oh, one day I'll be able to tithe. Well, if you're not tithing now, you probably won't tithe when you have a million dollars. Or if you do, it'll be so insignificant that God would laugh if you called it a tithe. Um, guys, if you're not being forgiven now, you probably won't be forgiving when life gets easier down the road. One of the things that I was always hit by was, as a college student, I was like, you know, I'm going to be able to spend so much more time with God after I graduate college. Because I was convinced that college was the busiest time on the face of the planet, only to find out that after I graduated college, it was the easiest time I ever had in my life. See, we always do that. Oh, one day I'll be able to do something great, great with God. I'll be able to do something great with God later on. The problem is, is if you're not doing it now, you won't do it then. Yes, God changes people. Yes, God does do things. But at the same time, we tend to stay consistent. If you are not practicing love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, unless God changes you, you probably won't do it later when you think life is going to get easy. God wants fruitful people. Only time I see him getting destructive. And when I say destructive, I mean destructive. What we're going to read next week in the temple is rather interesting because all he really does is he chases a bunch of people and builds a whip and he, he never is described as hitting them. It's not described as, as destructive. He opens pens. One of my personal favorite things is that we'll talk about is there is a, a mention of birds in cages. Do you know what he does with the cages? He opens them. That's not destructive. That's freedom, but that's not destructive. But Jesus Christ sees barrenness. And he becomes destructive. So, before I end, I know this is short tonight, but before I end, anybody have any questions? Anybody have anything that needs to be added? You know, and yes, sir. Um, going back to the fig tree, what do you make of the timing of it? Because I feel like the message is easier to receive if it's in season. I think so too. I think Jesus really liked using physical examples. And probably was ticked off at what he knew he was about to see in the temple. And the uh, fig tree uh, bore the brunt of that. I think we quite often like to think of Jesus meek and mild as meaning he's just nice and, and cute. Jesus wasn't nice and cute. Sometimes I think we think of him too much as the, this massive image that we have of St. Francis where he's just nice and he talks to the birds. St. Francis stole from his parents. Jesus is not some easy God that we can put into a corner. He's a God who gets ticked when he sees barrenness. Yes, it would make much more sense if it's like, you're supposed to be bearing fruit and you're not. And instead Jesus was hungry and he didn't see fruit of the stupid thing and he was like, that's it, I'm fed up. Sorry, Jesus can't be irritable. Yes, he was. I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't nice. I mean, he was just getting... 
And, and Jan, I think you, you nailed it because I think we love to think of Jesus as nice. Jesus had priorities that he cared about more than anything else on the face of the planet. It, it, even descriptions of that he leaves places where he's healing people because he needs to go to Jerusalem. In other words, I'm sorry that you can't walk. It is more important for me to go to Jerusalem than it is for you to walk. That's not nice. <laughs> yeah. It could have been because she's his mom. I, I <laughs> kind of understand that one. <laughs> I think he knew and what he so did. Yeah. Living with a gimpy leg or somebody being sick is not the end all of their life. It's an inconvenience, it's yucky, it's hard. But oftentimes it's the very suffering we go through that works about the good things in our lives as well. Sometimes. So, yeah. Well, it says but I would all even say things work together for good to them that love for God. For the good of them that love God. That doesn't mean that all things end up being good. They it means that all for good. the good. Right. Now, when you look at Paul's missionary journeys, yeah. he was in prison, he was shipwrecked, and then he, he ends up on the island of Malta. Those weren't fun things. No, Who I else would have planned to get bit by completely a snake in addition? So, yeah. But it worked about God's purpose, and good came out of that. And so I think sometimes that even though he may, yeah, feel the stress, I mean, when you, when you drop drops of blood, it's stressful. You, I mean, that's obvious. But at the same time, he sees beyond. And I think that sometimes with us, like even our children, we patiently go through the discipline to help them in the long run. You, we don't want them to have the cookie for dinner because in the long run we want them to be healthy children. So I would say even more than that, he just has a, he had a priority. That sometimes he wasn't focused on whether or not it was good for you, he was focused on whether or not it was good for humanity. As in, if you're keeping me from going to Jerusalem, then your need is not as important as this need to get to Jerusalem. That's the big so, guys, um, here's my simple goal. We're going to sing. Um, my goal is this. Be fruitful this week. Don't live with the lie that, oh, one day I'll do this. Be fruitful now. I'm not, I mentioned tithing. That doesn't mean giving here. I would appreciate it if you did every now and then. That helps to pay the rent. But I mean, live out love, joy, patience. Goodness, ah, I've got to sing the stupid song now. Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. It's all the way I can remember. <laughs> live it out this week. Because when you and I aren't loving to someone, because they deserve us to be mean to them. We're barren. And my understanding is that Jesus hates barrenness. So let's pray. Jesus, help us to be fruitful. Help us to bear the, the fruits of your spirit and to live it out. I pray this in your name. Amen.